Welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm Jason Van Tatenau, your host. It's Easter Sunday. Man, it felt like spring this morning. The sun was out, you know, golden light. There was rain falling, spitting. It wasn't snow, and it was fairly warm. Man, it, it, felt, it felt like the, the good old days a little bit. And really all I'm hoping for, all I'm hoping for is like three, four weeks that we can have like a normal spring or, you know, in an early summer before, you know, the fires really ramp up. I mean, we only have a couple fires going right now. I, like, can we just have a month where we don't have any, like, you know, three or four fires running around the state and like two within, you know, 30 minutes or so of us just like, that's all I want. I just, I want just. Just a taste before we become these scorched plains of Mordor. Like, just let us have a few weeks. That's my prayer. All right, folks. Well, today we're gonna we're gonna talk with John Meisner again. Uh, I had a little interview with him uh, last week in the library. If you ever want to find John, you just go to the library. He's like always there. And um, he wanted to talk about. Uh, I wanted to talk about the hospital, uh, the board of directors for the hospital, the election that's going on. Um, So we're going to talk about that. And then John had this experience. I know it's exciting. Wait for it. He wanted to talk about jury duty. But, you know, it's John. So it's going to be interesting. Um, Love him or hate him. John is uh, one of the characters here in Estes Park. John Meissner, the crazy, outspoken historian. We like have a trifecta of like crazy historians here in town. It's funny. I'm going to be using it in a book at some point. Like I definitely am going to be doing this whole like trifecta of, you know, uh, outspoken historians that are very eccentric Um, because it's just one of those quirky things about Estes Park. But you know what? It's we've got some characters, myself included. So, um, yeah, we're going to be doing that. Um, And, uh, you know, but really there was a little it's a weekend. So I'm going to go off tangent a little bit. I wanted to talk about there's a story going on and, you know, like like a lot of Coloradoans, when my day is done, you know, I sit back and relax and, and, and you know, have some munchies, watch a movie. And I start I start writing. I write down all my little ideas in a composition book, you know, the little 99 cent black and white ones used to get in, in high school and college. And I write down like story ideas and drawings for characters. Um whether they're fiction or, or news and journalism, I've got like a drawer full of these. I always have one, you know, I'm, I'm working on things. If I got my little composition book with me and um, story came up that I wanted to talk just real quick mention and get into, cause it's, it's pretty cool. Um, so uh, this month we, uh, we found out that mushrooms actually communicate with each other using up to 50 different words and this is scientific studies coming out of um uh, this professor theorizing that electrical impulses sent by mycological organisms can be similar to human language and um yeah so so they've done this mathematical analysis of the electrical signals that uh fungi mushrooms seemingly send to one another and they've actually identified patterns that bear a striking structural similarity to human speech. 
Um, you know, and, and previous research had re suggested that fungi conduct electrical impulses through long underground, uh, like filament like structures called hyphae. I think I'm saying that right. I don't know. Similar to how like nerve cells transmit information in humans, um, you know, brain synapses and such. And, um, <clears throat> and it's even been shown that the firing rate of these impulses increases when those connections, you know, they touch like, you know, they eat, they digest wood and stuff. So when these, these like filaments touch um, wood, like new food, um, they suddenly start getting these electrical impulses that, that appear very much like language and they're sharing information about food and injury with different parts of themselves. And of course, mushrooms are like these giant networks that go on for, they're like the largest life form on earth um, because they're all interconnected. And um, so this is Professor Andrew Adam Ansky of the University of West England's Unconventional Computer Laboratory in Bristol is analyzing the patterns of the electrical spikes generated by four species of mushrooms, an enoki, a split gill, a ghost, and a caterpillar fungi. And um, he's doing this by inserting tiny microelectrodes into substrates colonized by the patchwork of the hyphea threads or their mycelia and um, of course you know star trek kind of got this right you know they man they just keep they're they're batting 100 um and we don't know if there's a like a direct relationship between spiking patterns in the fungi and human speech possibly not the, the professor says um and uh you know there are, but there are very many similarities in the information processing in the living substrates of the different classes, families, and species. And this guy was just curious to compare. This is all coming from a, uh, um, the research which was published in the Royal Society Open Science and found that the spikes often clustered into trains of activity resembling vocabularies of up to 50 words and that the distribution of these fungal word links closely match those of human language. So, you know, all of your crazy hippie friends that are smoking too much pot and eating too many shrooms, you know, maybe they had it right. Maybe they were on to something. I certainly have my friends that say they have spoken with mushrooms before. So anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there. I thought it was an interesting little piece. All right, we're just going to jump right in. I got to get down to Fort Collins, my family's house. Um, we're going to be doing Easter brunch. Not that we're a particularly Christian batch. We're not. My my oldest daughter, she gets into it. But the rest of the family, we're pretty good, you know, just bohemian artist types. So, you know, we, 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 we like the pageantry. But, you know. All right. Let's jump into this, uh, into this interview. And I hope you and yours are having a good Easter. Um, I'm going to go over some of the things I have lined up for this week at the end of the podcast. And, uh. So we'll go from there. Here's John Meissner, and he's going to be talking about, again, the exciting topic of jury duty. It's enthralling, I know. Um, and uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the, the hospital board election. A lot of us don't even know there's an election going on. The, uh, the ballots have been sent out via mail. There's already people getting them last week. So um, he's going to talk a little bit about that, and uh, we'll go from there. Folks, we're here with John Meissner once again, and um, 
We're going to talk a little bit about jury duty here in Colorado. John, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me back, Jason. Absolutely. Actually, we, we had a lot of response. People really liked your uh, your candidacy episode and, and really liked had, having a chance to, to kind of hear you as opposed to, say, read you in, right. in printed word. It seemed right. to bring a whole other dimension and, and kind of just like, oh, wow, that's actually a human being. Right, which which can be kind of caustic sometimes, I, I admit. Sometimes I get on people's nerves right from the get-go. Well, so again, I, appreciate I don't it think you're giving yourself enough credit. Well, again, you know, it's one of these damned if you do, damned if you don't things. The election turned out pretty much as I thought, and I predicted it a week in advance which again is not some great thing, but I'd like other people to to just hop on board too if they think they can can predict stuff. That election had no buzz and I feel bad because turnout wasn't great. I do think the right candidates, you know, whatever right means, uh, the, town, the town had their say. And so we've got qualified people, the two incumbents for all you can say about them, at least they're qualified, they've sat on the board. Uh, Kirby did a great job. Uh, I continue to be impressed by how, how prepared she was and how she just knew how to check all the boxes. I do feel bad for the folks uh, that didn't perform as well. I just feel really bad for the turnout and hope I didn't depress the turnout. But what everybody always looks at, and I'm not going to stop running, uh, is that I never take away spots from other people. <laughs> I get just the amount of votes that are probably, you know, I have, I have some friends, but they don't have friends, obviously. So um, I'll just keep running. And again, I run because I like to get issues out there. But yeah, so while this election was going on, Jason, I was called to jury duty. And so when you register in the state of Colorado to vote, you also get on the list for a potential jury pool. So that day of the election, I was called down to sit in a room with 500 other people. Uh, this was 8th District Court, which is both Jackson County and Larimer County, but I'm sure most of the cases come from Larimer County. And so they put you in a room and they show you a little video. Um, and then you've got to report to various courtrooms and they packed us 60 people. They ran out of chairs in the back of that courtroom. That was courtroom C, and the judge was fantastic. And again, for people who haven't ever served on a jury before, Colorado has an interesting law that they just passed called one day or one case. And that means if you're called for jury duty, it's more than likely that you're just going to have to go down there for one day because you won't be picked. They pick so many people in the pool, and they only end up taking 12 with sometimes a couple of alternates, and they don't have a lot of cases going on in a lot of different courtrooms. So more than likely, you are only going to have to sit there for the morning and maybe part of the afternoon. Now, if you're picked for jury, then that falls over into the one trial. So you serve one trial. Our trial happened to last four days with deliberations, and I think that's pretty common. Had it gone any longer, we would have gotten paid. But in this case, we didn't get anything. And when you live outside of Fort Collins, of course, you have to travel back and forth. So there is some expense. But I would highly recommend, if you are at all interested in, in being a good citizen, it's just a fascinating exposure, uh, both, you know, to the, the trial itself and then behind the scenes with all the stuff that you have to, you're told and you say, if you want to be a good juror, if you want to be a conscientious juror, this is the rules you have to follow. So I was not one of the original 22 picked. Each side has the ability without saying any reason to dismiss five potential jurors. So that, that's 10. And so they start with 22 and they whittle down to 12, but of those 22, they start to wheedle some of those people out too because they'll say very strong things which will hurt one side or the other. So this case had some abortion um, concerns. It had some domestic violence concerns. And there were people who said, I cannot feel comfortable um, because I've been in this situation before. So very quickly, they're dismissed. And again, you're sworn in even before you're picked as a juror, so you have to tell the truth. 
And, and again, that's a way. If people don't want to serve on a jury, you can obviously maybe push your views to the extreme. They don't want people who are at the extremes. Now, silly me, and again, I thought, you know, people with secondary educations, probably that's not the, the, the a juror of your peers. It just happened this case. I was not this individual's peer who was being accused. Uh, but I was shocked that most of the people picked actually did have secondary educations and strong backgrounds in various fields. Uh, I saw how that would help the defense because the the DA's case was not very strong, didn't have a lot of, of real good um, physical evidence. It was just a he said, she said, and he didn't even testify, which was his constitutional right. So we're just getting the victim's uh, testimony. Uh, the deputy that came on the scene about 30 minutes later, and then a supporting witness, character witness, who was actually hurtful and did not help the case. We were promised at the beginning that we would hear from a number of other witnesses. Somehow those were jettisoned, and again, the jury is always dismissed when the, 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 the thing that wasn't expected happens. And so I don't know what was going on. I am going to go to the sentencing, interestingly enough, because I'm just, I, I got kind of connected to this case. Just, uh, again, how the legal system works and then how sentencing works. And I also told my fellow jurors, and again, this is not, you can talk about the, the case after it's, it's been decided. I don't believe either side, and so I'm going to go up to this community and actually do some background investigation, which they just looked at and laughed. But it came down to where there was two charges, and one of them everyone was pretty convinced was not guilty based on the wording of, of what the charge was and whether we could read into this man's mind if he was using his car to try and hurt this individual. And then the, the very interesting thing to me is we deliberated in the afternoon, and then we dismissed because we hadn't come to a decision on the second charge, which was harassment with some elements, again, of using a deadly weapon, in this case, a car. Vehicular and, assault. Right, vehicular assault. He was. They were ramming each other with cars. Oh, Again, wow. I don't know, and I can't tell from looking at paint scrapes, who hit who. We just had to take one person's word that this is the way it was. And then we had no physical evidence to look at. Um, and we never saw a picture of what happened at the scene. It was a very, very bad, as I say. I don't know if they just didn't, it was midnight and they just didn't do a good job or what, they didn't want to introduce certain evidence because that would raise other questions that would hurt their side or the other. But as I say, it was it was a problematic case for me where I thought the individual was guilty, uh, but I had no physical evidence or way to you know convince me beyond a reasonable doubt that he was guilty. And so the message kind of I wanted to send was, yeah, they just did a bad job of doing this and next time do a better job. And again, I'm not a bleeding heart. I didn't I, either side, I wasn't invested in them in either way. But interestingly, between the first night and the second night, we were allowed to go home. We weren't kept in, in, in a hotel room there in Fort Collins. And we were instructed at the very beginning, and I tried to do the best I could, do not look on Google. Do not do any searches, because we knew the victim's name. We knew the person, the accused's name. Do not do anything. When I came back the second day, without anybody admitting it, it's clear that the mood has changed and that they really want to find this gentleman guilty on the second count. Now, again... The second count had less burden to prove that maybe she was in fear for her life. Uh, and so I could see, but again, between the that, that night before when we took a straw poll and the next morning, three votes had changed. And so I'm just wondering without saying, because then once the case was over, I Googled this individual and my God, maybe we should have found him guilty on all counts. He just had a, back, a, a background and was on the most wanted list in Larimer County back in December, whatever that means. I don't think they have a lot of people that you know, they can even find to put on a most wanted list. But but at the same time, and again, everybody could Google that and see that. He wasn't a, a great character. I did some additional Googling and found out that this character witness that they brought up on her behalf had also been, had some run-ins with the law and spent some time in jail. So this is just the balance. And again, I don't know if we did a good job or a bad job. Um, it just turned out, and again, 
We weren't allowed to figure about what sentencing, if he'd end up in jail or not. Our votes couldn't be, you know, swayed by that. But it just happened. And again, I think it's just the way it happened. Again, maybe some people searched about if this is a charge, what is the jail time or what is this? It turned out we just found him guilty of a misdemeanor. So he'll probably, again, do some parole time. I don't know if it's, I don't, you know, I never know if that's right or wrong. I just know that we, I think we did our level best. And so I feel good about that. But some, some interesting things about a Colorado trial. We were allowed as jurors, after each person testified, to submit written questions to the judge. Oh. And if the judge found them that they were, you know, reasonable questions to ask, and both sides agreed that that could be asked, our questions could be asked to the person on the witness stand. At that time, not later, after they finished the, you know, initial testimony, the cross, and then the, you know, redirect, then we got to ask our questions. And in some cases, as I said, we had a very intelligent jury. Some great questions came out as far as physical evidence that I wouldn't have thought of, but everybody has a different background, right. and about domestic violence that I wouldn't have thought of. I'm just not familiar enough with that. That kind of got one of the witnesses a little bit upset. And so, again, we were told, don't, don't take this into account that you know this witness kind of got flustered and maybe fled the stand a little early. She had stomach flu, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it just shows that that you as a juror have an ability to be part of that case, whereas I don't think other states allow that. So you get to be more proactive. You absolutely get to be more proactive. And in some cases, as I say, it actually helped make decisions, those answers that were given based on juror-submitted questions. And I don't know why the, the, either the, the, the defense was a good defense, and this guy was a public defender, and he looked like um, Sideshow Bob on The Simpsons. I mean, <laughs> but he was prepared. He had no connection to this person he was defending. I, I know they weren't best friends, but he made it look like, I value you. You know, he put his arm around him. And so he just did a great job of presenting the case. Again, it ultimately, did it sway people? I don't know. But it shows you that if you're on top of your game, if you're a good lawyer, you have a way of convincing some jurors, this guy, maybe he's on the right side of this. Right. But anyway, when I, when I just, you know, evaluate, like, where am I in the community? I think I'm the public defender. I'm the guy that, you know, does this, probably isn't well-liked, but it just somebody has to take a stand for certain issues in town, whether it makes people uncomfortable or not. The other thing, and I'll just say this because this is one of these battles I have in town, somebody got up and started acting as if they were a a witness that knew a lot about medicine, as if they were somehow an expert on post-concussion syndrome. Uh, And so very quickly, the defense stood up without even, you know, three words getting out and said, I object. This is not somebody who has a medical background or has any expertise in medicine. And that was struck. That was absolutely not allowed. So certain things in town, and again, this is where I get my my hackles really get raised, when people who have no ability in, in the field that they're in, and we have people in town who do, and I'm not saying me, I'm just saying anybody in town who has that background. They should be in charge. Let's not have people who don't know uh, having having things. And that's where I really, as I say, get on the wrong side of issues because in that case, I'm like that person that's saying, wait a minute, you don't have any expertise in this. Let's bring in somebody who does. In a small town, I get it. Some people feel roles, that, that feel roles because they volunteer to or because they're good citizens or whatever. I'm, I'm trying to strive for in all this, whether it's you know the consultants we bring in whether where we need to get consultants, whether it's any construction job, we get the best people we can because I'm concerned about our community and what happens if people aren't the best uh, and then leave things that are worse often when they came in. 
Okay, so anyway, that was the jury. Uh, I would highly recommend. It was every person in that room said, you know, I was hesitant, I was skeptical, but this was a positive experience in my life uh, to be involved. And again, the jury is the ultimate team sport. You have to be unanimous. And there was clearly, in one case, people who were not on board at the time the votes were taken. And you just have to be sympathetic to that. You have to say, all right, I understand. But it also, sadly, becomes it comes a time thing. People were looking at their watches the second day in and, you know, saying, and I don't like justice to be decided on people's schedules. Uh, but but ultimately, you kind of see, I can hold out on this. I can make people uncomfortable. But I think I just better, you know, just say, okay, with these concerns that I'm voicing, with these stipulations, I'll go along because we have to be unanimous. And I didn't want to have the state or the county to have to go through another expense of another jury when this this court case was clearly falling apart as we watched it. Initially, there were three charges, again, without reason. By the second day, that third charge had been dropped. All these witnesses that we saw out in the audience getting ready to come up that just then left, and we were told not no reason why there was supposed to be some evidence about the repairs to the car and how much that would cost. Never saw that. So as I say, it's just a fascinating experience. It doesn't, it's not, it's not beautiful. It's not beautiful to look at. There's 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 concerns that everyone has, but I would highly recommend if you get summoned to go down to Fort Collins and be part of that jury pool, don't go running for the doctor's excuse. We had no alternates, zero alternates. We were there four days, and yet somehow everybody got there on time. Everybody did their civic duty, and we got a, a decision rendered. And so, you know, you got to feel proud about yourself for that. At least 12 people, 11 people I had no control of, they were also able to come down and be a part of this and, and render a verdict. And so it was kind of a nice, it's, it's a nice moment. You get a nice little certificate suitable for framing. And the judge came back afterwards. After we'd made the decision, went back to the jury room, the judge came in and said, any questions you have, ask them. And I just love that too. We could ask her anything about anything. So don't be scared. Don't act like, hey, this is not really us. This is the judge and the defense attorneys and the DA that decide these cases. You decide the cases as a jury. You're the one that makes the decision guilty or innocent. So that's kind of neat. It's kind of a neat thing. All right. Yeah. Well, so and that, engagement is good. I, 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 can't, I can't say a bad thing about it. Um, and, and I like the other people that I served with. Um, you get kind of friendly with them because you're having to reveal a lot about yourselves and your innermost personal you know, experiences or your philosophy that's often different from theirs. Uh, and so, you know, we exchange numbers. We're going to meet each other later on. And so uh, independent of that, as I say, it's a chance to meet people that you wouldn't ordinarily meet. Um, and, and they were, some of them had, you know, impressive backgrounds. Some of them were doing high-end stuff in their communities. And so it's kind of cool. All right. Well, let's shift the conversation a little yep, bit. Yep. Let's go. Let, let's go back into local politics as yep. much as, oh my God, I've just I've been sucked <laughs> into local politics. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we have another important election that's happening. A lot of people yeah. probably don't know about it. A lot of people probably, you know, have yeah. no idea it's even happening. Correct. It's the, the hospital board right. election. So the, my right. real question is, John, and you're, yep. for full disclosure, you're running. I am running, yes. I'm one of the four <clears throat> candidates, and I've run before for a hospital board. So yep. my question is, as uh -huh. a, a layperson who really has no clue, uh -huh. um, you know, maybe more than the average Joe out there, but, you know, as far as uh, you know, the inner workings of things, I don't really know. Right. Um, what, why is this important? Why is it important to, to everyday citizens here in Estes Park um, that, that, you know, the hospital is, is almost an afterthought? You know, it's right. when a friend gets hurt or, or sick or whatnot. Right. Why is this election important to the citizens of Estes Park? 
Well, two things, and there's two district elections coming up in, in May, and one of them is hospital board, and the other one is rec board, recreation board. Right. And so one of the reasons you should be involved is because you're spending money as taxpayers on these districts. Um, $3 million or more, depending on what the mill levy is each year, um, is spent by the town and the district. Again, it's not the town. Just it's, This is not just the, the, the limits of the town. It's not just the borders of, of what town limits are. This is a district, which extends larger than the town. And so people in Allen's Park can vote. And people, you know, in Big Elk Meadows, I don't. I think they can vote because a, a candidate ran last time who lived in Big Elk Meadows. So it's it's broader, and you're spending money, and it's the hospital. Uh, and so you want to know, and I think you should be interested in, is the hospital going to be around when I'm sick? Is the hospital going to be well-staffed if I have an emergency that I need to go over and I can't get down to the valley in time? Um, and is my money that I'm spending being spent wisely? And also, what's the future of the hospital? And that's constantly been a question since the hospital was formed. Funding started, money started being raised, and the idea of a hospital started being talked about in the late 60s. And there is a huge community involvement. We had a telethon back when we had a television station to raise 24-hour telethon to raise money to try and get this hospital built. And so it was built in 1975. It was small. It was just the core of what the building is now. It looked like a concrete bunker. Had It was run by a few doctors. And the idea was to stabilize people and, and get them ready for transport down to a bigger hospital if necessary. And it grew from that into providing a lot of services that maybe initially could compete. And again, this is, I'm sorry, this is just my philosophy or my feeling. That doesn't mean this is the way it actually is. It grew into, can we be an, a, a provide everything to every person kind of hospital, even though we're rural, even though we don't have an ICU? There are a few rural hospitals in Colorado like Aspen that have ICU beds. But to go from a non-ICU hospital to one that's ICU is a huge jump in funding and staffing. And so, and then about 10 years later, and again, the hospital has done a good job of putting a timeline on. We got Prospect Park Living Center, which was the nursing home. And again, I think that's a valuable thing for a community our size to have. And certainly with our demographic, yeah. it's an older population. So people need to also be saying, is this what we need or do we need this? And one thing that comes up frequently that I hear from, from people that I talk to is dialysis. Dialysis is something that's a chronic condition that it's hard to go down twice a week or however many times you need to go down to have dialysis in the valley. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had the ability to do dialysis up here in Estes Park? Same with um, chemo. I think they do have some ability. Anything that's a chronic thing that needs to be done more than once a week or once a week or whatever it may be, wouldn't it be much more convenient if we could offer that here than having to go 60 miles away? Now, in other cases, people will say, I want to go where somebody does this particular surgery every day. So they're very knowledgeable about it. They have the staff that knows exactly what they need and what happens if we get into a little bit of, you know, something gets problematic or we, we cut into a vessel. Have they seen this before? Do they know how to handle this? Estes Park will never be able to compete with Boulder or with Longmont or Loveland hospitals that are staffed, that are large, that again, this man is such a specialist, he does it every day. And in some cases, it's cheaper down in the valley. And so that's the, that's the sticking point up here. Everyone seems to be voting with their feet. Even on a study, just a radiologic study on a CT or an MRI, if it's cheaper down the valley, if it can be interpreted down there the same day, if there can be a, a consultant, a second opinion, for example, be given that same day, 
People just do that, and they don't worry about, am I supporting locally my hospital? They look at, and, and sometimes insurance is an issue, too. Yeah. Some insurers, they don't accept in Estes Park, and they do accept, or I'm not saying they accept them everywhere, but you can find a place in Loveland, Longmont, Boulder, Denver that might accept your insurance. And so it's just consumers have those choices, and until gas goes up to $27 a gallon or something, we're going to utilize our ability to drive elsewhere especially if the surgery can be done faster. And if they have an ICU in case you have complications, you have to stay overnight under constant monitoring. Again, please don't take away that I am upset or disappointed or want the hospital to go away. I don't. I think the hospital needs to recognize, and again, they're starting to recognize more. I think the CEO has come in and said, let's not do all these things and try to be everything for everybody because we're not getting the subsidies. We got a lot of federal subsidies for... COVID outbreak. Those are going away. And those were forgivable loans. Uh, that's going away. And so how can we not lose as much money as we've lost? And, and it's never been a winning proposition in Estes Park. And I don't know that it's meant to be. That's why we have the additional funding uh, from the taxpayers to help out with some of that uh, when they when they run into the deficit or they're in the red. But the, the talk has been forever. And again, I don't know why we don't have a, a big public forum about it. Should we go private? And in one, then we don't have to have these elections, which are expensive, $20,000. But if we have boards that are funded by the taxpayers, it is my strong belief we have to have elections for the democratic process. This is not a kingdom where you get to choose. This is not nepotism where you pick your sons to take over. This is an election. Now, since 2017, uh, pretty much the incumbents have won. And so that's just the way it is. And we've I, I wish they would go back just to a day of election to save expenses. I don't think that it would be much different. I think the outcome would be the same because turnout is always low. When you mail ballots out to people, you will get a better turnout, but I'm not sure you get any different results. Again, percentage-wise, I think you'd come up with the same, but whatever. This is what the hospitals decided. It's expensive. So if it's expensive... By God, I'm going to run, and 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 I'm going to and I'm going to encourage other people to run. And there are four candidates this time for two positions. So even if you dislike me, and even if you think, oh my God, he's up to something and he's trying to you know screw with the system, I am more qualified for hospital board than I am for town board. I have no background in 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 political science or anything about administration or how to do anything with with electric lines or sewers, but I've trained. In a hospital, in a major hospital, I have a medical degree. I've done medical research. Two years ago, I ran during the height of the COVID scare, didn't get enough votes. And I'm like, my God, if they don't think I can help them during COVID, I got no chance anyway. And part of it is I continue to contribute. You know, if you get it free, why elect somebody? So I give them this information all the time, whether they utilize it or not. I'm writing every day on various medical issues in town. Um, and so why would you have me on the board if you already can, you know, use me without having to deal with my my tantrums? Also, I think people need to understand I'm not the kind of guy, just like this jury. I wasn't up there just, you know, yelling and shouting and telling people, that's a horrible thing. You didn't even pay attention. I took 27 pages of notes. I think that was probably more than anybody during the case. And I was happy to go back to my notes, and I'm not saying they're right. But other people who didn't take any notes had a, had a better insight into things, had valid opinions, had good questions. And I said, that's a valid opinion. That's a good question. I didn't think about it. I'm not, I don't, I'm not an idiot. I don't have an unyielding agenda. I am happy to listen to other sides of and view. And I do anyway. I mean, I don't have a choice. 
So I'm, I'm not saying, by God, I know how to fix this hospital. I have no idea how to fix the hospital. I do know I'd, I'd pitch in there and I'd attend every meeting. I would never miss a meeting. And I would work outside the meeting to try and learn more about various situations and bug the heck out of people to where they said, okay, John, that's enough. Stop you know, hanging out here in the hospital and asking questions. So again, just from a health reason, I've never been sick. I didn't know, knock on wood, I, I don't take any medicines, any over-the-counter medicines. This is the time if you want me to be on a board, to have me on a board. And if, if you think that I'm going to hang around till 65 and run, you're right, I am. But my mind won't be as clear, and I won't be thinking as well. And it's like, you're going to get me. And again, it's, I'm only going to be elected either when the hospital's about ready to go into the toilet, and they want to hand it off to me and say, ha-ha, you're the one who has to handle this problem. Or no one else runs. And I think that's too, I think it's a little bit sad. Uh, but again, I, we have an excellent field of candidates this time. And we have a new person entering the field named Eric Owen. And I'm not trying again to, to I don't know the man. But he's been on record as saying, I attended when they had the vote on the nursing home. And I spoke out about keeping the nursing home. And according to him, and this you can read this on, on the League of Women Voters have put up their responses to the questions. I convinced one of the current board members to change their vote on saving the nursing home. Nursing home is the issue this campaign. I came from a town of 1,000 people in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska. We used to have a hospital and a nursing home because, again, we're an oasis in a place where there's not a lot of other places for health care. We have since lost the hospital, but we have our nursing home. And it's 30 beds, and it's got a locked unit for Alzheimer's. I don't know, again, if they make money or lose money. But when the current incumbents say, we can't have a nursing home unless we have 60 patients, you know, all the time, and that, that's nonsense. We can find a way to have a smaller nursing home in our community. We had it. We just decided for one reason or another, this is what we're going to cut. And we didn't campaign on that. When I was running two years ago, none of the candidates who got elected were campaigning saying, oh, and I'm thinking about cutting the nursing home. They waited until afterwards to suddenly decide, oh my God, we're losing a lot of money and this is what's on the chopping block. For me, a nursing home in a, in a community where 37% of the population is above 65, where this is an end-of-life question and your friends being able to visit you, because I'm going through the same thing with my parents right now. It's tough. It's very tough. Of course you want your mate or your father or mother to be able to stay in their home. But if they don't, if they can't, if it's so that their caregiver that's with them can no longer, just doesn't have the energy, it's they're breaking their health because they're trying to take care of somebody else, it is so helpful if they're close by. Well, and then with the median age of the average citizen here in Estes Park, like, yeah. whether it's it's not an issue now, it's very shortly going to become an issue. Yeah. Now, I, I can't really speak to that because I'm not yeah. in that demographic. Right. What I can speak to is I have a wife who has chronic medical conditions, okay. and we are, you know, she has to, as you know, generally yeah. about once a month. Sometimes if it's a good month, we can get away with without, with, without you know, yeah. hitting the ER yeah. for a month. Yeah. I can tell you, so part of what she has is a port. A port is an access to the main line. Sure. Um, her, her veins are very poor. Sure. And, you know, yeah. basic things like labs, which you have to do with right, chronic right, illness. Right. Um, it's just like so that. much more convenient and so much safer to well, have a port. Yeah. When yeah. You're doing and, that. and when we go into a port, now this right. is a this is a huge room within the hospital yeah. that at one time was staffed with six to nine people. Mm -hmm. Um 
right now, if you walk in there, it is a yeah. ghost town. Yeah. There is yeah. one person, generally speaking, that is there yeah. that is trying to help six different people. Right. Right. And yeah. they're usually have worked a double shift and look yeah. you can see it on them. Right. They're, they're just wearing it just on their exhausted face. and Absolutely. fatigued. And that's the worst time at all to be practicing any kind of health care. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what I can say is it doesn't yeah. seem like what we've been doing has been yeah. working just yeah. on a, a basic level. And I think, yeah. you know, I I, yeah. I I I've struck up a lot of conversations yeah. with medical staff at the hospital. Yeah. Where do you go get your service? All of them are getting it down in the valley. Yeah. And yeah. I think that, you know, we I, I've talked to previous medical directors who yeah. who we know because they're helping with our, our family health Your care yeah. and um, you know we've had some very frank discussions about the state of yeah. the hospital and yeah. there are reasons that these people have left right and right. I, right. I think yeah. just yeah. voting the same people in again and again yeah. Yeah. is not gonna necessarily well, change fix the problems and again you're, you're hitting you're preaching to the choir there and so with the nursing home, I don't want to hear people complain again. My God, they did away with the nursing home and then vote the candidates back in who supported getting rid of the nursing home. You can't live schizophrenically. You have to vote the way you're talking. One of them has to be wrong. And so the two candidates that are probably going to win are strong. They're financially, they, did, they were very successful in their careers. But you're putting them right back there, and you're not going to get different results. You're going to get the same results as far as what gets cut and what gets emphasized. Look, urgent care is a great thing. It's a great thing, and every big city has urgent care. Does Estes Park need urgent care? I think they need to change the name of it. For me, urgent care means 24 hours or at least earlier than the hospital or, e you know, the ER is a 24-hour thing. But clinics, it means earlier than the clinic opens and later than the clinic closes. We have times in the winter when we're only open three days a week at urgent care. That, to me, is not urgent care. Now, again, you can call it what you want, but it just makes me wonder why are we... And again, I get it. Sometimes in the winter, we have to go slog through things because we know the summer's coming, and that's where we make our money. I want them to be honest, and I want them not to inflate figures. and not. They've got a vested interest in this urgent care working. I want to see, and they, they're, I'm not saying they're hiding it. I'm just saying their bias is, by God, we're going to have urgent care in Estes Park, whether urgent care is necessary well, or not. There's only three days a week. Yeah. I mean, I've had so many times that me and my and my oldest daughter have yeah. gone down for urgent care at the new facility, yeah. and it's closed. Right. And again, I don't want to harp on that because there's days that it's open, and there's days they're doing wonderful things, and it's cheaper. Yeah than the emergency room. And the emergency room, again, I get it. You step in there and suddenly you're just getting a swab for, you know, a, a simple sore throat and they send you a $1,000 bill. I get it. I know that urgent care is, is not that expensive and often you can pay out of pocket for it. Medicine has changed. I get all that. But my gosh, it seems like they're competing against one there because if you go into urgent care and you really have a real problem, they're going to send you to the emergency room. Yeah. I love our emergency room. I love the concept of it. I love how it's executed. And I'm fine with us just being like a surgical, a mobile mass unit with our emergency room being very well staffed and very well, you know, having all the latest equipment and all the radiologic stuff they need to diagnose whatever they need to diagnose. And I, I think I think the ER does do a great job. I, 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 again, I, I will attribute that yeah. with my wife's heart stopped for three minutes yeah. close yeah. to a year ago. Yeah. If not for our dispatchers 
and the paramedics and me yeah. by chance, you know, having right. medical training. Sure, sure. And a culmination of good luck happening. Right. But, you know, yeah. 90% I, of that is yeah. the paramedics and the ER yeah. getting the right treatment there yeah. within yeah. minutes. Yeah. And again, I have talked to too many people who say, had it not been for all, all of this that you talked about, I might not be here. And it can be a blood clot. It can be, again, a burst appendix. It can be whatever these things are. Yes, we will not be the same kind of community if we don't have that kind of a hospital. But then we start talking about, and again, I'm not criticizing. I think all the doctors who come here are special. You have to, in some ways, sacrifice career advancement to come up here to Estes Park. Because you could be at a flashy place, and you could be doing surgeries every day, and you could be having rounds and grand rounds and getting exposed to all kinds of additional training and, and really be you know, absorbing that. But people make conscientious decisions. I want to treat Estes Park. I want to treat at a rural hospital level and have that connection. And that's, that's always the concern. If we go private, if we say UC Health, you're practically taking us over anyway. You provided all of our testing equipment during COVID. Just let's you know, finalize, sign the dotted line and take us over. You will lose that kind of interaction with your physician. I get it. And I'm, I, again, I'm not saying, oh, God, it's time. We just got to get rid of this and just have, you know, mechanical robotic medicine. But we have to, we have to not keep losing money. And, and some things that I would say are vanity things that we tried to say, hey, let's compete with various orthopedic surgeries and try to match what the Valley's doing. If they're not working, we just have to say that didn't work. And we've had things in the past we've tried with surgicalist program, uh, which meant, you know, not a dedicated surgeon, but just somebody rotating traveling. through, traveling surgeon, did not work. The expense of bringing in yeah. nursing is going to be the thing that breaks our back up here. In and it really, Park. yeah, and it, in the long run, it doesn't seem to be working out. I, it turns out one of my my friends from junior, an old girlfriend of mine from like junior high, yeah. um, wound up being a traveling nurse here. And I, I, I realized this because she was taking walks, you know, on her breaks and I live right up near the hospital. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it, it, it's hard on, on the traveling nurses, you know, they're put into these, these crazy hours, especially during the pandemic, right. but the expenses around them. Yeah. How, yeah. I don't understand yeah. how that's in any way and, sustainable. It's not, it's not. And it's not only Estes Park that's having to deal with this. It's every hospital yeah. in every community. It's, it's tripled or quadrupled the cost of nursing uh, because you have visiting nurses who are, who are then getting paid so much more than the nurses who've been here for 10 years. And so you don't think there's a little jealousy there? You don't think there's, why the hell am I you know, sticking around here when I could be traveling around the country getting four times paid? Well, I, and, and again, it's a difficult situation all around. I mean, I think globally right now we're seeing such burnout. Um, yeah, that, yeah. That oh my God, yes. Literally, yeah. I mean, I've, had, I've yeah. been out of the EMS game for years like two years now, I haven't had my license okay. and I'm getting, you know, messages during the pandemic and whatnot talking yeah. about, Hey, we're going to, we, we'll, we'll give you an extension on your license. Oh my you, gosh. Right. If you yeah. come and, and, and yeah. do this work, I can't yeah. physically do it anymore right. because of my legs, but, okay. um, but they're know, willing to say, yeah, hey, I yeah. mean, they're, well, they're willing to make exceptions, but it yeah. just, it, it's testament to just how broken the system yeah. is. Yeah. And a few years back, they were talking about trying to create some kind of nursing program up here in Estes to try and, again, train, at least get the high school kids exposed to it and see this is a career. We may lose one-fourth, one-fourth of all of our medical staff post-COVID because they're just throwing up their hands yeah. and saying, too much work, didn't sign on for this, didn't sign on for being attacked for things that are, you know, medically the wise thing to do. 
And I can do something else and not have this kind of stress in my life. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Even if my legs were better, I don't know if I would. I mean, I probably would yeah. return to emergency medicine because that, that to right, me, right, I, right. Was, I was passionate about. But, yeah. you know, I don't know about, like, doing a gig in a, in a hospital or something. I, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it and, would be a choice. And so my dad was in a hospital, uh, not in Colorado, uh, a few weeks ago. And all of the staff that came in to treat him nursing-wise was from the Philippines. My God, they're good. And again... That's the Philippines has some system and knows that we can we can export our populace, male or female, make a whole bunch of money, have good lives for them, and they're compassionate, they're 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 caring, and they get right in there and do stuff that's like, wow, I don't know if some of us here in the United States would be really excited about a fecal impaction or cleaning somebody up. And so I wish you know we had some conduit, some pipeline that we could, you know, establish with some university over in the Philippines and say, just send us X yeah, number of nurses. Start that we got to start, we gotta start really thinking about how are we going to fail these needs? Because that's what's going to kill us as a hospital is these kind of expenses. So again, all of this is like, what does this have to do with John? It's just, again, please get out and vote when you're going to get a ballot in the mail. The League of Women Voters has put some information up with questions and answers, but there's no live forum this time. Right. There is nothing where people are going to sit in front of a camera and say, this is what I strongly believe. Wow. Two, two candidates have on one issue have a very different belief than the other two candidates. I'm not saying you should you know, base it on that, but I'm saying, please don't talk to your friends and say, I don't recognize any of these names on here. Oh, I see John and I don't want to vote for John. I get that. Don't let them talk you into, into voting. There are ways that you can do some research. It's hard to watch, watch uh, hospital board meetings. I get it. It's arcane. Words are thrown around that you have no idea. Figures are thrown around that you don't care about. But this is your community. There is an election. And you got to decide, do I want to change or do I want the same? There are candidates who are going to give you the same. If the same is okay for you, that's fine. If the same means... We may partner whether we want to or not, then keep going the route we're going. Um, but well, but for me, it's especially, again, Jason, for me, like just like this forum, come out and talk to the public. Right. Put your phone number in there so that people can call you. Have meetings at a coffee shop outside of the hospital setting where it's difficult. It, you got to sign in and wear a badge, and you're always worried about, am I going to be exposed to something? Come to a coffee shop and have a meeting once a month. The current board members, they need to come out in the public and not be scared and say, here's some issues. Because they're bright. They know the issues. They're not hiding from the problems. It's just that we used to have public emails that were part of a transparent system where you could see what other people were writing about. They've done away with that. How did they do that since it's a public election? Uh -huh. How do they get rid of the public record? You'd have to talk to them. And, and this is just, again, at one point they were doing what the town did with any email that's written to a board member is now shown on a bulletin board. Well, isn't it tax-funded, though? I mean, isn't it? Again, I wish, I, but, but the town could do away with it if they wanted. This is an additional thing that they do, rather than have to go through open records requests to say, here it is, guys, here's the community. And again, can be so avoided. So we could still do Quora's and get them. Sure, we could ask if, but it's, you know, again, you're now you're so, it's so arcane and there's 10 people interested in it. As long as the door's open when they go over there and your medical records are accessible when they need to pull, I think most people say, I'm fine, I don't care. Okay, it's just, it works until it doesn't. And I'm not saying that this current board won't make it work. Uh, they can make it work, it's just, how much money are we losing and how much money could we be not losing if we had other people just asking questions, just... Again, it's just 
Let's go through this uh, just like a jury trial. Let's start to examine this and, and get other input. Rather than have five people who march this to the same drummer, let's have a couple of... Whether you win or not, and again, I don't care if I'm voted down every time. I'm just going to bring it up so that they say, oh, that was something I didn't think about. And so, and again, not everyone's an accountant. Not everyone's a CPA. They put down, you know, tables and tables and charts and charts of, you know, here's what our budget was. Here's what we thought we were going to lose. Here's what we did lose. Where I just want, what's the bottom line, guys? How many millions did we lose this year? And how can we stop losing that many millions? That means cuts have to be made because there's not this endless source of money. And maybe they come to the town and say, if you want a hospital, you're going to have to pay double what you're paying right now. It's not huge. It's a little bit of property tax to have a hospital. But it's just, my God, everything I go into, I'm like, let's make money. Why lose when we can be breaking even or making money? And if that's possible, let's let's explore that. And so, oh my gosh, we know that nursing home is not a, a, a winning proposition, but there are certain things as a community, again, for the fabric of our society, we need to say, don't care. Don't care. That yeah. can lose money because if, if somebody is in the nursing home and their friends cannot travel 60 miles to see them because they're all elderly, but they can come and boost them a little bit that morning by walking over or, again, getting a ride over there. It's a, it means, it means the, a lot. It's a difference between having a good day and a bad day. And when you're 89 years old, that sometimes your morning is set to the rest of your day. And so if you get a visit from a friend or a phone call for a friend, and again, you're talking long distance versus a local phone call, it's important. And, and again, with our, just like you're saying, the median age from the 2010 census to the 2020 census went up tremendously in Estes Park. Let's not kid ourselves. We are a retirement community, whether we call ourselves or that or not. We have three times the percentage of, of retirees in Estes Park than we do in Florida, certain Florida retirement communities. It's the way it is. So let's find ways to give our that demographic the best quality of life while they're up here. And for me, part of that is a nursing home and it's it's skilled nursing. Uh, and I think we can do it. And the other candidates are saying can't be done. That's why we got rid of it. I'd argue that's if we're gonna lose money, I'm I'm so willing to lose money on that and, and maybe sacrifice some other things that don't lose as much money. But that's my opinion. Go out and vote, please, please, please. They make it so simple. They spent so much money this election. Please vote. It's just a, a it's just a stamp on an envelope where you can walk over to the hospital. It may be the first time in a long time you've seen it. Um, get over there. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to offer Thanks, to sir. the other people that want to that are running. Please uh, do. If they want to come on. They they're yep. welcome to do. Just reach yep. out to me. Um, and so the other candidates we didn't talk about are Eric Owen and it's um, Dave Beatty and it's Drew Webb. And they're all qualified. And again, we have no representation from minorities, which I wish we could get some minorities in town to start thinking about running to. You want to talk about a different viewpoint? It's how's the health care for people who aren't in the majority in town? And how's the billing system work? And how's all that with insurance work? And how much extra hurdles do they have to jump when they get something that's been denied by their insurer and find who's that? And I'm not saying just Hispanic population, Chinese population. Everybody up here who doesn't speak English is their first language my gosh, it's hard to fight these kind of things. And so we've got, to, we've got to have representation. We've got to recognize we are not homogenous up here. We have different people from different backgrounds. So we got to have other, and, and other people run besides the, you know, the Anglo-Saxons up here. So. All right. Well, thanks I, once again, John, for coming on and giving us your, uh, your thoughts. Jason, I, I admire what you're doing. I, I just wish some of this stuff would go super viral. 
Um, so that we see up in Estes Park, it just seems like, my God, we got smart people up here and we have valid opinions, but it's just we don't have a way for it to get out of this cul-de-sac to let other people outside know we're dealing with issues and maybe we're doing things that other people ought to, you know, model or try to to do with their press or, you know, with whatever it is. And, and I heard some, I was driving with my sister this weekend and I heard some podcast that she had that was like Conan O'Brien. Um, and Joe Rogan that has a podcast besides his radio show. And they put advertising at the front and in the middle. Oh, yeah. So you ought to start thinking about Ginzu knives or you ought to think about something because it doesn't. <laughs> well, I, put, I do put my books on there. Not that it really. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've got I was thinking of doing like a, a sponsorship opportunity for, for, you know, limited number of business, maybe three businesses. Have it be comparable what they would be paying for on the paper. Absolutely. Um, and the numbers Absolutely. are finally there. I mean, things are yeah. getting traction. Um, you know, we just. We, we hit 5,000 wow. downloads last week for, you know, only being around for, what, two months? Two months, yeah. And, um, you know, we're already up, you know, almost 5.5. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's just, it is growing, but it takes yeah. time. Yeah. And, and, and again, just look at the Estes Park News. And and I don't think this is a secret. In the first couple of months, they they were saying, we're, we're, we give up. They were ready to throw in the towel. It was just so much work. And what was the... What was the reward? What what did it look like? Well, now they're what they are. And so, you know, you could be looking back in five years and saying, holy cow. Well, I mean, I'm wired. Yeah. I'm going to do this anyway because right, this, right. this is just what I'm wired to do. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm able yeah. to support myself through the books and, and yeah. through the, the lifestyle that we live. Yeah. Like, my bases are covered. Yeah. So I'm going to keep doing this. Well, and people, you know, again, with podcasts, people drive. And they're tired of the same old stuff, and they want to get some some in something that's intelligent and that they can think about, and and that they don't just you know tune out on. And so that's I think podcasts are something that are they're happening. And it, again, it's not like oh my god, I, hey, I found this thing called the podcast. No, everybody knows about it. Yeah, it's we've been doing it for like ten years. Now, yeah, so. no, no, no. And and so that's what I'm saying. We don't have a radio station in town. We've had them. We've lost them. Newspapers. You know what? We've got what we've got, and it's because one of them's a big multi conglomerate thing that we don't really get local news. This is touching the pulse of Estes Park right here. It's rapid, it's real, and it's people that generally don't get interviewed by the paper. And I will say, and again, this is not blowing smoke, one of our papers in town has started kind of interviewing some of the people after you interviewed them. Oh, well, yeah, I've noticed so, that, actually. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. You know, yeah. hey, well, yeah. hey, again, it's stories that need to be told. You found in. them. Exactly. At least they're saying there's more to this community than just the three people we always run to and we need quotes on various things related to business. I did the numbers, so, just an interesting fact. I did the numbers breakdown from, like, because I get demographics from, like, what countries I get the most. <laughs> so I got, like, a hundred people in Ireland who are listening. Like, who are, who are you Irish people listening to my show and why? There's, like, 50 in Germany. Ireland, Ireland and Germany. I don't right. know. So when I first started Essence Park Archives, there was some Google service that would tell you, you know, where you were getting the hits from. And it was Russian. I'm like, well, Russian people aren't interested <laughs> Right. So in that case, I thought, are they trying to exploit? Are they trying to, you know, get into yeah, something maybe. out of the system? <laughs> I, and it's like, you're not going to learn anything from me. But anyway, that's what's so fun about it. It's not just people in Estes Park that are listening to this. It's somebody searching for something. And suddenly you come up and they're like, well, I can listen to 20 minutes on this. Subject. Yeah. You know, and when so, I did the Ukrainian story, what was happening there? Right. I, I started getting listenership in Ukraine. And I started listening to Hannah Gadsby because you interviewed one of the comics down in Fort Collins. And I'm like, I've never heard of Hannah. And then she's got this huge kind of flame war going on right now with Dave Chappelle. And I'm like, this is interesting. 
And he says, again, he's got a huge fan base. He says, you know, she's got a bit. She's not funny. She is funny. He just doesn't like her kind of humor. She's, she's intelligent. She sees things from a different aspect. And she's, again, funny means do you make me laugh? Actually, I'm not going to apologize for her making me laugh. She's funny. Tomorrow's podcast is a follow-up to that, that the, the Fort Collins okay. uh, comedy scene where uh -huh. we're having the other side come on and tell their side of story. Oh, um, good. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So, you All know, right. and, and as I cover these stories, it just right. it gathers more and more listeners. Right. Well, again, more power to you. Keep going. Um, I'll, 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 anytime, you know, you, you don't need to keep talking to me. There are a lot more interesting people, but this time with the hospital board, uh, that's why I think you invited me on and I hope you get some other candidates. All right. Well, thanks so much again, John. All right, folks. That was the interview for today. Hope you enjoyed it. I always get a kick out of talking to John and, um, yeah, next week. Uh, so Monday, tomorrow, I'm going to be, uh, heading down to speak with, not heading down, it's in town. I'm going to be talking to two of the kids that are trying to get the skate park going. Apparently, they've been working on looking at maybe becoming a, a nonprofit um, to, to really jump into getting us a really good skate park here in town and well, just at least improving upon the one we got. I mean, it was great for a while, but it, it's fairly dilapidated now. And, you know, our kids deserve better. We deserve better. There's plenty of adults. Like, I would use it. I would fall and, and crash and burn and probably screw my legs up even more but you know i i definitely try and uh <clears throat> you know skateboarding is such a big part of our, our colorado culture here i grew up with it in the uh, mean streets of fort collins but yeah there, there's just something about that skateboarding community that that just accepts everyone just you know you're either one of the freaks or you're not and uh the skaters like yeah they wind up being the cool kids when they grow up so we, we need to foster that. All right, folks. Well, I hope you had a good Easter. I hope your week starts off good. Hopefully the, uh, you know, we'll have less fires this week. And uh, I'm actually thinking I got to start some sort of like fire forecast. Like, you know, we have snow and rain. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like we definitely need a fire segment of the, the weather these days. All right. I'm just rambling now. We will talk with you soon. I'm Jason Van Tatenhove. You've been listening to the Colorado Switchblade.